Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 11, verse 40 through chapter 12 with Pastor John King. Well, greetings. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, you know, let's take the time this weekend. I'd encourage you all to take the time to lift up the families and uh, who have served our nation so bravely. And that also give you an opportunity to pray for our nation. Uh, yesterday we stood before a young man who was graduating from school and I, and I almost felt like I needed to apologize to him for the, the kind of condition the world's in and the challenges our next generation has. And, uh, you know, it does break my heart, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Given all the spilled blood that uh, went to keep this nation free and how we seem to be torn apart at the seams right now. So our nation needs plenty of prayer. And the Memorial Day is the day that should remind us of that and remind us of those who have gone before us. Well, today we're going to finish the book of Daniel. We started in October, and here we are. We're done. Chapter 12. We're going to finish. It's a, it's a very abrupt ending to a wonderful book. I hope you've enjoyed the study as much as I have. And uh, so as we finish, we're going to start a little bit from where we left off last week. We'll be in uh, chapter 11, verse 40. And we will go through till uh, chapter 12, verse 13. This is the, uh, we're going to take a look, as we finish the book of Daniel, we're going to take a look at uh, a final look at this future self-willed king known as the Antichrist. And we see here that Gabriel, the angel, is giving his faithful servant the final prophecy and instructions that have been read by the church for the past 2,000 years. Even though the coming tribulation and the great tribulation are going to be the most apocalyptic events in all of human history. You and I know, we should encourage one another with this, you and I know that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gives us the ability to rest in the fact that just like Daniel, we will arise to our inheritance at the end of days. That's what, that's what the angel Gabriel said to Daniel, and that applies to all of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we will see that when our prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's will will be done at the end of the tribulation when he sets up his kingdom. So let's, let's look at our passage for today. We left off with this northern king's conquest. By now from verse 36 we were introduced to the, the self-willed king. If you're taking notes... But look at verse 40, it says, And at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. This is the Antichrist. And the king of the north shall come against him. So he's getting attacked from both sides. Like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And then he shall enter the countries. He will overwhelm them and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, which is Palestine, which is the holy land. And many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand. Interesting. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon will escape from his hand. Verse 42. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries of the land of Egypt, shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. 
Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountains. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. Chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone, of course, who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who are, excuse me, those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase." Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and another on the other, that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, hovering above the waters of the river, how, shall, how long shall the fulfillment of all these wonders be? And then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever. He says, then it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people have been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. But many shall be purified, made white and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time of that the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. We'll explain that. But you, go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it have its transforming effect on our hearts and minds once again, Lord God. May we come away changed and come away excited to do your will as we learn more of this great prophecy from your precious and holy words, Lord. We thank you, Jesus that you've made a way. We thank you, Father, that you have seen to it that these words are be preserved for us to read even this day. Go before us now. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So we start out in verse 40. You see, uh, there were military invasions taking place during the tribulation. A lot of times we think of the tribulation in kind of small you know, little bits and pieces uh, or large, you know, information that we get from Revelation, which we will be seeing today. But we have to, you know, Daniel here, this great prophecy, this amazing prophecy that's been given to us, gives uh, some detail to us, gives an interesting detail for us to help put it together. And that's why it's so important that we studied the whole Bible in context. 
all of what God has to say about things. You know, we're not to, we want to be very careful not to pick and choose our favorite passages. And so here we are, we're going to see these military invasions taking place. In verse 40, it says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. Well, who? Well, this is the Antichrist, when? At the end of human history. So this is during the Great Tribulation. And notice another king, the king of the north, shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen. So he's going to amass, uh, this king will amass a great army and navy to come after Antichrist. And the reason is because not every government is going to be willing to submit to the Antichrist. I think we lose that. I think we lose the fact that not only will there be tribulation saints who will not take the mark of the beast, but there will also be governments who push back against his tyranny. And so he, he gets mad and he says he, he shall enter the countries and overwhelm them because he has, a mighty, he has a mighty power. He's being you know, uh, energized by Satan himself. He has supernatural power to some degree. And so you know, we see that he will overwhelm them and pass through. He will crush his opponents is what it says here. In verse 41, and then he'll also enter into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. Now the glorious land speaks of beauty, glorious beauty, honor. This speaks of the nation Israel, the place that God has set aside through his covenant with Abraham so many thousands of years ago. So many countries will be overthrown and even though this this Antichrist starts out as some miraculous peacemaker like the world has never seen. His true colors quickly emerge as he now starts to dominate the countries that push back against on his designs. And he occupies Israel, and it's likely that he uses this as leverage for his, his ability to kind of break the treaty with Israel to finally put an end to this, all this warfare that's continuing to happen even during the Great Tribulation. And so he may use it as a way to, to take care of this terrorism once and for all. Even though they signed a treaty, they didn't have any intention of keeping it. But it says, but these shall escape from his hand. And he names two countries, Edom and Moab, and then the prominent people of Ammon. Now the Bible records that these are the ancient enemies of God's people. You know, they wouldn't allow, for instance, at the time of the Exodus, the Edomites refused to let the Israelites pass through their land. You see that recorded in Numbers 20. So for whatever reason, you know, Antichrist decides, well, you know, I'm not going to go through and try to dominate their country. Maybe they're on his side. He knows he's won them already, and he doesn't have to come and dominate them. But notice in verse 42, it says, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries. You know, he won't be content with what he has. He will, he will seek, you know, men, when they seek power, they seek more. And they seek more territory. And they seek more things to, uh, to take over. And they seek more power because they lust for power when they become in this, this state of a, an imperial state. And in this case, directly infused by the enemy, Satan. It says, he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver. Oh, excuse me, back in 42, Egypt shall not escape. Now, this is possibly a reference to the king of the south who came up against him. But then it says in 43, he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. So now he's building his war chest as he dominates. Total, you know, control. And also the Libyans and the Ethiopians, likewise, he will dominate all of these nations. 
But in verse 44, something interesting happens. It says, but news from the east and the north shall trouble him. What are we talking about here? Now, during the final half of the tribulation, there will be an increasing number of nations, as we said, who are pushing back against this Antichrist. And they will mobilize their own armies to oppose him. Hearing all of this will cause him to mobilize his forces. So you have this, this, these intense wars and preparation for war. And therefore, he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Now, many believe, and I, I share this belief, uh, that this is a reference to the Battle of Armageddon, which occurs at the end of the tribulation, just before Jesus comes and puts a stop to all that. And that these opposing forces, the Antichrist's army and the armies from the east and the north, will meet in this, this plain. They will meet in the northern district of Israel in the valley of Megiddo, also known as the plain of Estrelon. And you can read of all these. There's prophetic passages. If you're taking notes, you can read about them. We don't have time to cover them. Revelation 9, 13 through 21, for instance. Revelation 16. Joel 3. Zechariah 14. All of those speak of this great final battle. And they actually come to fight one another. But as we'll see, they join forces to turn against the Lord at the end. Now in verse 45, it says, He shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. This refers to the geographic location of this valley. Okay, it's northwest of uh, Jerusalem, southeast of um, the south or southwest of the, um, it's actually the Jagar, I'll read it for myself instead of remember. It's the, the valley of Megiddo, which lines between the Mediterranean Sea and the Carmel Mountains. So it's southwest of Nazareth. And so he's in this battle stance, you know, this reference to the tents where a, a king and his army would go out and they'd set up their war tents and they would plan and, and campaign. He's in the campaign posture of war. You know, we have a popular song we read. It says, uh, well, first of all, back up just at the very end of that verse, it says, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. You know, this Antichrist is going to suffer a great defeat. And so, reference to the popular song, we sometimes sing it. It says, our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? So, you know, no one will help him. He shall come to his end. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 8 says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So, as one commentator puts it, you have this huge army from the east. They get positioned to attack the forces of Antichrist in Israel. And then the returning Son of Man will appear in the heavens and the opposing armies will, as we said, unite to fight Jesus Christ. But they'll be utterly defeated. In fact, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. They're, they're, they're sealed. They're, they're, they're doomed. And also, uh, Satan will have become bound for a thousand years until the end of the millennium. So they'll be taken out of the picture, and then Jesus will come and set up his throne. Now, as we enter into uh, chapter 12, we're going to take a closer look at the tribulation. It's the tribulation, at first I said, well, it's the tribulation and the millennium, but really it's the tribulation and it's the promise. Because you and I, we don't have all the answers to many things in life. 
We don't have all the answers as to why some suffer, some die at a young age, some get disease, all these things that happen. We don't really have the answer. But we do have promises from God. And the promise is a great thing to end with. And that's how this chapter ends, his promises. And so in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says that that time, now this battle is going on, these battles are joining, Michael shall stand up. Now who's Michael? Well, he's one of the two named angels we've been talking about in the book of Daniel. He's, his, it says here, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And so we, we've learned so far in scripture that apparently the nation Israel actually has a guardian angel who stands over them and protects them. And make sure that the enemy will not thwart the will of God, which he's always trying to do. So it says, Michael shall stand up. Now he'll appear or come on the scene, you know. Now Michael means who is like God, this great prince. They call him the patron angel of Israel. You see that in Jude 9 specifically. It's very interesting. Revelation 12, 7. And we saw it back in Daniel chapter 10. It says... This great prince stands watch, or on behalf of. New Living Translation says he stands guard. The NIV says he protects. So he's, he's the patron angel for the nation Israel. We know that Michael, the archangel, we read about it a couple weeks ago, he assisted Gabriel in the spiritual realm by battling the demon prince of Persia. We got, we got a glimpse of what goes on behind the veil of heaven, the spiritual battle that takes place all the time, and usually we may sense it, but we don't see it the way this is explained to us. And they actually, this demon prince of Persia, actually delayed Gabriel and Michael for 21 days from coming to answer Daniel's prayer. But remember, Daniel was steadfast in prayer. He stayed in prayer. He didn't give up for three weeks. And they overcame him. And so that's a reminder once again for you guys. Tuesday night, I'd like to see you here. Men, let's come and let's pray. Guys, <laughs> let's do it. Let's come together. You know, we're not going to have midweek. We're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer this week. I would just want to put the, a friendly, gentle plug in your ear. Make some time for it if you, if you can come out. Let's do battle together. And it says here that there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, was since there was a nation even to that time. So anybody that tries to tell you that, you know, all this stuff that you read in Revelation all happened in the past, you can point them out to this verse right here. This time of trouble known as Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. What that refers to is the Antichrist is going to come with a full fury of anger and vengeance towards the nation Israel. And he's going to take out all of his frustration. You know, even the devil, Satan, has been kicked out of heaven and banished from heaven, and he's sent to the earth during this terrible time. Anybody that thinks they can ride out the tribulation, you're just kidding yourself. You don't want to be here. And it says, such as never was. In other words, such as not has happened. It has not happened yet. It is in the future. Greater, as New Limited Translation says, greater than any nation since it came into existence. Since nations were nations, this terrible trouble will come. <clears throat> Zechariah 13, 8 and 9 speaks of it. It says, And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, 
that two-thirds of it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Now, the Lord is going to rescue Israel as a nation, as a whole, but understand not everybody who was born in Jewish heritage automatically gets a, a ticket to heaven. Everybody must submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has made a covenant with the nation Israel, and he will take the nation Israel through the tribulation. Nobody can wipe them out, and we know from history that there have been many who have tried. Now, in addition to the horrors of war, the Great Tribulation will be a period of increased natural disasters. Loss of life will far exceed anything thought possible. You consider we have a planet of 8 billion people. That's a lot of people. Note the four catastrophic disasters we see in a, in a study. Let's, let's do a quick scan through Revelation. And we're not going to be able to pull up all the verses. I will call them out. But I just want to highlight what's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. First of all, there's going to be a very fierce storm. Uh, Revelation 8, 6 and 7 uh, talks about it. It says, So the seven angels had been seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. That's what happens to the earth. During that time, while these battles are going on, while the spiritual warfare is going on, all the terrible oppression that's going on, you're going to have all the crazy stuff. You know how it is when we get in a hurricane season and life still goes on and all the chaos of our lives goes on and then we've got this natural, pending natural disaster coming our way. And you know how stressed you are when you see, you know, you're watching the weather channel and you're listening and you're checking and you're tracking and you're doing all the stuff and you're doing all the prep work. Well, this is going to be, it's going to be unleashed like no, no other time. There will also be a massive volcanic explosion, Revelation 8, 8 and 9. Then the second angel sounded in something like a great mountain. Burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of our world's oceans became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of all the ships were destroyed. There will be an explosion of a meteor, a massive meteor. You know, we talk about, you know, we know, you know how God's placed the earth in such a perfect place. And you know about Jupiter, right? Jupiter is like a magnet. It, it takes away a lot of the things that could come to our world and crash into us. Well, during that time, there's one's going to get by, okay? And there will be a, a giant meteor, Revelation 8, 10 and 11. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So your water source is starting to be taken out. You've had fire, you've had blood mixed with hail. There will be an astronomical eclipse. The fourth angel sounded. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. That has not happened yet, folks. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Other passages say that in addition to all these catastrophic events, 
during the Great Tribulation, God will pour out an unparalleled judgment upon the earth. These are known as the bowl judgments. You can read them for yourself in chapter 16, verses 1 through 21. But it starts in verse 1. It says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. You know, God has withheld his judgment on this earth. But his judgment is coming. Loathsome sores for those who took the mark of the beast. The sea turns to blood, killing all sea life. This is what happens in chapter 16. Fresh water sources, river and springs turn to blood because of the blood shed by the saints and the prophets. You know, the vengeance the Lord will have. Men will be scorched by the heat of the sun, darkness and pain so excruciating that people will gnaw their tongues, yet they will refuse to repent. As the world descends into utter chaos, the river Euphrates dries up, providing a pathway for who? The kings of the east to bring their army to fight against the Antichrist. You know, the world's going to blame this guy for all the crazy stuff that's going on. You were supposed to be the one world leader and look at all these natural disasters. What are you going to do about it? And that's going to raise anger and frustration and these armies will come. And they'll bring for the battle of Armageddon spirits of demons manifesting themselves through signs will be happening all over the place. The greatest earthquake ever recorded will happen during that time. Hailstones the size of a talent, 75 pounds, will fall from the sky. In addition to these natural disasters, there will be a devastating plague to strike the earth. A demonic locust plague will inflict the ungodly and the evil of the earth in Revelation 8. I mean, you think the bugs are coming out now. You think they're bad now. Revelation 9.11, and it says, And they had as a king over them, these demonic locust things, they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is, in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. And so Daniel is aware of many of these things. Now John hasn't written Revelation, but Daniel's hearing that there's going to be some terrible things happening. And now we have the end of the book. We know just how terrible they are from what the Bible has revealed to us. But Daniel comes back and, excuse me, the angel comes back, and this is where our hope lies, right here, okay? It says, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Now, we're talking about the people of Israel. The church will not be there. The church will be raptured. But the same hope, okay, applies to everyone who is in God's kingdom. But he's saying this, this really speaks to God's sovereignty and his desire for the nations. And we said God's going to take this nation through this great tribulation. And it says, and at that time, your people, the Jews, shall be delivered. Everyone, though, there's a, there's, a, there's a caveat, a very important one. Everyone who is found written in the book. There's several books in the Bible, but this is the one you want your name in. Okay? You don't want your name blotted out. He says, your people shall be delivered. In other words, they'll slip away. Why? Why does that happen? Well, because God, we said it earlier, God has made a covenant. He made a covenant with Father Abraham thousands of years ago. Four, five, six thousand years ago. Probably closer to four, actually. 
Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8, God said this, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. In other words, it's going to happen. It's, it's not conditional to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are presently a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So right there, that, just, that tells us, again, Israel as a whole, not all people who are Jewish, because they have to come before, they have to have their name written on the Lamb's Book of Life, but the nation as a whole will come through this. God made it as an everlasting covenant. When we have the new heaven and the new earth, what do we have? The new Jerusalem. Everlasting. Everlasting. And it says to everyone found written, to found, you know, you got to get registered. We have sign-up sheets all the time. You know, you need, to, you need to be registered in the Lamb's Book of Life. God's records book. God's register of the living. Exodus 32, 32 and 33, it says, Yet now, if you will forgive their sins, but if not, I pray, Moses said, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. In other words, if you stand before God without the blood of Jesus Christ that covers you and pays your fine, if you will, then your name will be taken out of the book of life. You will stand before God and have to give an account to God in judgment for the breaking his commandments. He's referring to citizens of the messianic kingdom. This refers to those who will not endure the second death. You know, you either die once and born twice, or you die twice, born once and die twice. Verse 2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. So he goes further detail here. There will be two resurrections. Everybody who dies is going to have eternal life. It just depends on where your location is going to be, where you're going to reside. Many who sleep in the dust, again, this sleeping in the dust refers to those who have died, shall awake to resurrection. What a hope and promise that is for us. but then some to everlasting life, but then some to shame and everlasting contempt. Second Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. But what about the lost? What about those who don't know Jesus? What, what, what's in store for them? Well, they come to shame, which is reproach. This, is, this means, uh, you know, we think of God as just all love. Well, folks, I hate to say it, but it's true. We need to come to the realization it's true. This shame, this reproach is used as a figure of speech for a thing which is despised. You see, apart from Jesus, your sin is despised. You and your sin is actually despised by God. Even though we know in John 3.16, he so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. But if you stand before God, you, are, you, you stand in a position of being despised by God. He hates sin and he can't be ever. And so as a result, you will suffer everlasting contempt. 
everlasting contempt. Isaiah 66, 24, And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, says God. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Jesus quoted that in his ministry when he talked about everlasting suffering and contempt. And don't listen to the folks that try to tell you that this is, you know, God is actually not going to have you suffer for eternity. You can't find any biblical evidence of that. Even though people want to try and tell you that. You know, the sort of, the, it's called a modified annihilation theory or something. Don't buy it. Tell them about Jesus. But notice in verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. In other words, they shine. This, this wise, this wisdom, is somebody who has received teaching or gives teaching which causes others to consider or to give insight. A good teacher. And those who are wise shall shine. This is a figure of speech to those who teach righteousness. So as you raise your children and your grandchildren, as you lead your Bible studies, as you witness to people, you are considered wise. And for that, you shall shine. This is, this is something that God sees us because he sees us in our future state. This brightness is the appearing of shining. And then we have a little thing, a discussion, a strange word, firmament, which is uh, basically, you know, I'm going to have time to go into it, but basically uh, this is part of the Genesis story where God created the heavens and the earth and he separated the heavens below and, and the, the water above, you know, the water in the clouds. You saw the beautiful cloud formation yesterday and the beautiful blue sky. That would be considered the firmament. And then the waters which are on the earth, the, the, the uh, Lipton Tea Ocean out here, uh, that's here. Uh, but it's all, it's all God's creation. It's a beautiful thing. I know some of you spend a lot of time on that water, catch a lot of fish in it too. Somewhere, somebody around here does that. I think he's down the other end of the hallway. Now, think about this as, as we kind of, it says here, oh, it's, he says, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So he accentuates the fact that our job is to spread the word and because it, you have this eternal result of how you serve the Lord. You know, turning many is the great commission. Righteousness is to be, you know, made righteous, made right in God's sight. And stars is a metaphor for those who radiate God's light for the sake of others. Shining your light for others. So as we think about these things, think of how brightly Jesus shines, considering that it was he that took the shame and reproach from the Father to pay for our salvation. We talked about this despising and this sin that God hates. Well, his own son, Jesus Christ, laid on a cross and took all of that from the Father. He put himself in a position to be despised by God and to suffer the wrath of God for our behalf. So nobody shines brighter than Jesus, amen? Nobody but he's within us, right? You have the Holy Spirit in you, so you can shine too. You don't have to, you know, you have this promise from God and we, we suppress them, we forget them, we get overwhelmed by life's problems, don't we? Yep. Everyone is found written in the book. We saw God's promise of deliverance for the nation of Israel. 
some to everlasting. We see two resurrections, and you see it elsewhere too. In John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So this is promised. We have it again in Revelation 24 through 6. I'm not going to read the whole passage. But look at the end. It says, Blessed and holy is he, in verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has a part of the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. That's, our, that's a promise from the Lord. Remember, we're talking about promises. We don't have all of life's answers, but we have God's promises right here before us. As we come through verses 4 and 13, we see Daniel receives, here at the end of his life, this, this old saint, probably in his late 80s by now. He's been faithful to serve the Lord. You know, he was brought over into the exile as a teenager. He's been faithful. And here he receives the final words from heaven, which he recorded for us. Look at verse 4. It says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Seal the book. In other words, place this prophecy in safekeeping. And thank you, Lord, that he did that. Thank you that he was faithful. Thank you, Lord, that you did it. Because obviously God's will was done. We're reading this letter, this message from the angel Gabriel 25, nearly 2,500 years later. We're reading it right here before our eyes. And it says here, notice, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Uh, many believe that this speaks to the technological age that we currently live in and, and how it is uh, so pervasive in what we consider to be the, you know, the, the last days or the end of time uh, as we approach rapidly. Um, and, you know, there, there is certainly some credence to that. But this is more likely, pay attention, this is more likely that this is uh, describing a hunger for knowledge, and knowledge is especially of the end times. You know, I don't care how, who you meet these days. Um, you, if, if you start talking the Bible, uh, if they want to really engage, a lot of them will ask you if they think you have, uh, you know, if you have the answers for them, they'll ask you about the book of Revelation. They, they oftentimes want to go straight there and say, let's talk about that. And then when that happens, you usually got to say, well, you know, uh, can we talk about something that's a little bit more important? Uh, how's your relationship with Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Because none of this book's going to make any sense to you. It's just gonna, you're just going to be a spectator reading a book. And you look at all the, the apocalyptic movies that are made these days, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, so it's more likely describing the hunger for knowledge and information, um, but especially on eschatology. Uh, church historians will tell us that for the past 150 years, there's been a steady increase in knowledge and understanding concerning what we call eschatology. This is the study of the last days. And it's increasing. That's why uh, you know, I hold to a dispensational view. There's different uh, times in history, dispensations, where God reveals things that are you know, important to him, that he wants the church to know. And I believe he wants the church to know more and more about the end times in the ages that we live, in the age we presently are in. And so more books have been written, more you know, commentaries have been written, things have been unearthed, uh, you know, just an amazing amount of things that you can read. 
And yeah, there's a lot of people who disagree and they, you know, they see things a little different. You got the pre, we're premillennial, you have the amillennial and the postmillennial. Those names come out. Some don't believe in a rapture, stuff like that. You know, those can be silly arguments, but interest is still high. What's happened? Because you, you know, just about everybody from wherever background they come from is ready to tell you all about it. They're ready to tell you. And so here you have, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Now, uh, I like what this one commentator, Warren Wiersbe, said. He kind of goes through some very important points, and I'm just going to run through them very quickly. It says, he, he starts with a question. He's, he's speaking on, you know, sort of like how Daniel, Daniel's asking questions, and it says, how long? You know, how will it end? These are the kind of questions that we ask when the times are difficult and the future's in doubt. You know, you'll see the news reports. You'll see all the crazy stuff's going on. And, you know, Lord, bless those families and those precious children that lost their lives. What a terrible tragedy. And you see the future and you see the world around us and you go, man, I, you know, what is the purpose of all this? You know, Daniel did what all of us must do and that is we must humbly ask God for wisdom what, that, that we need. But you know what? God may not give us all the answers. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Always remember this verse. When you, you know, you have to be willing to tell people you don't understand everything. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, we don't have it up there, but it goes like this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. So we have that. You know, again, another promise. But also the, God, the Lord knows as well, Wiersbe points out, he knows how much we need to know and how much we can take, you know? I mean, you can't handle the truth in some regards is what God says to us. June, uh, John, June, John 16, 12, it says, uh, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And he did promise, Wiersbe goes on, that all these things would be clearer for those living in the end times. You know, we look out, we see the world, things are starting to be much clearer and this should be an encouragement for us to prayerfully study the prophetic scriptures. And it certainly gives us much to pray about, men. But the Lord did reveal that in the end times. As trials come to the people on the earth. So the Lord revealed so much that he said, as the trials come, this will make you and I as believers both purer and wiser. You know, if you think, not only am I maybe getting older in life and I want to keep a short list of my sins as I mature in Christ, so I want to be purer for the Lord, but I also want to be wiser for Him. But the, notice this, the wicked will only become more wicked. Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.13, Paul wrote, he said, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the world that we certainly live in. These unbelievers will be ignorant of the truth, but the believers will have their eyes open to the truth of the word. And you can thank the Lord that when you see things happen going on in this world, and you see the craziness that's going on, you remember his promises. You ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit and give you peace in your heart. And you have him, and he will do it. So, uh, Wiersbe concludes, he says, the word of prophecy for us is our light when things get dark. And we need it. A third of the Bible is prophecy, so, you know, we're not, as we teach the whole Bible here, you're not going to stop hearing about it. 
Verse 5, Daniel now witnesses a conversation between two angels in heaven. It says, Then I, Daniel, looked and stood two others. So he had a visual manifestation. Now remember, chapter 10, 11, and 12, they all go together. Should have just been one chapter. All of them go together. And remember, in chapter 10, he was, he was having this vision, and he was hearing from the angel as he stood between these two rivers. So, you know, he's there, this Tigris River, this was talked about in Daniel 10, verses 4 and 6, we see that. Um, that's the location. It talks about where he was the day, 24th day of the first month. You know, he's standing on the side of the great river. You see it there for yourself. And it says here, now back to our text, it says, verse 6, And then one said to the man clothed in linen, so you have one angel talking to another angel, who was, now this man clothed in linen was actually also another feature. He was above the waters of the river, as, as though he was hovering over the river. So you have an angel talking to another, probably an angel hovering over the waters. And he asked the question, he says, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Very specific here. How long will it be? Now, the, uh, the angel hovering over the river may be the pre-incarnate Jesus. We talked about that. There's a possibility that it is. But even the angels, notice, even the angels are anxious to know about future events. Because only the Father really knows all, everything. You know, when the time, when the time is going to come. And then he says in verse 7, Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held his right hand and his left hand to heaven, raised his hands to heaven, and he swore by, swore by him who lives forever, it shall be for, he declares it, for a time, times, and half a time. One time, two times, plus one is three, and half, three and a half years. And he took a heavenly oath and he swore. You know, this isn't, you know, the Bible doesn't lie. God cannot lie to us. But notice it says, it shall be a time, times and half a time, but it will actually be more. We're going to talk about that. I have to talk about it. We can't avoid it, right? <laughs> as much as I would like to. But the period of time will be terrible, but brief. It will be controlled by God. And we've, we went through all the stuff that's going to happen, okay? We, we went through all the plagues and we talked... Briefly, we took a high-level look of all the terrible things that are going to happen. And it says, And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. It will last until the holy people, Israel, are broken and utterly defeated. Keep in mind that the Antichrist has signed a treaty with Israel at the beginning of the tribulation, Okay, the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, but in the middle of those seven years, the Antichrist will break his treaty. And the last half of the seven years begins, which we call the Great Tribulation. Now Daniel's got a question. Just like many of us would, right? If you were Daniel, you'd have some questions too, wouldn't you? And he says, although I heard, verse 8, and I did not understand, then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? You know, how's this all going to work out? Daniel certainly heard that the holy people, his people, would be crushed. You know, how's this, how are they going to survive all this chaos? How's this going to work out for my people? You remember Daniel was an intercessor for his people. He prayed for his people. He served the Lord faithfully and he had a true heart of concern for their future. 
He says, how will be people survive? Verse 9, and the angel says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the end of time. And Daniel would not receive a full explanation. These were future prophecies reserved for future generations. But he did receive some very key information. Look at verse 10. He does say, Many shall be purified, they'll be made white and refined. In other words, they'll be morally cleansed and tried by suffering. Those are the ones who come to faith in Christ, not only through the centuries and all of life, but also through the tribulation. Those who come to give their life to the Lord and, re and uh, receive salvation in Christ. But he says, But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. Those are the ones who are found guilty and having no defense before God, they're sinning. They will prove this by their lives and by their lack of understanding. So you need to have compassion on those that you witness to that don't know Jesus. Because many times they're being blinded by Satan. And, they, they, you know, and if they really love their sin a lot, you know, which is you know, one of the reasons why people end up in eternal hell is because they love the darkness more than the light. They love the sin more than they love uh, God and Jesus. Then they're, they're going to lack understanding and they're going to be ignorant. And that's why prayer is so important. They're going to be ignorant and blind to the things of God and they're going to be ignorant of his word. But he says, the wise shall understand. Look, you and I have been given these prophetic passages. God's word does not return void. We've been given these passages for our understanding and our discernment of the times. Ephesians 5, 16, 15 and 16. Paul's instruction to us, the church. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Folks, we need to have our eyes open. We need to have our spiritual eyes open. Verse 11, a key time span, it says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice was taken away, mid-trib, okay, the, the Antichrist says, You Jews, that's it. You're no longer going to get the sacrifice in the temple. You, I'm, turning my, I'm, I'm turning the tables on you now, okay? You're going to worship me. So you're going to stop all sacrifice, daily sacrifice. during the. Remember, they were given permission to reestablish that. And it will be taken away halfway through the tribulation. It says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, and so he will set up something for in the, in the temple so where the world and the Jews and everybody, especially the Jews, can worship him. Jesus mentions this in Matthew 24, 15. Speaking of the end times, again, those who try to tell you that this all happened in the past, here's a verse for you. It says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by who? The prophet Daniel. Standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let them understand. You know, it was pointed out to us, we, uh, some, some of us went to a, a great conference this past week up in Philadelphia, and one of the guys that was uh, teaching uh, made a point, you know, he's, he said he believes, he's a, he distributes Bibles all around the world, all around the country. He's distributed like 169,000 Bibles. Uh, in the last five years. He goes down to the border. Anyway, uh, one of the reasons why he, he feels so strongly about giving the printed word is because when the tribulation does take place, okay, and when, when you know, the church is raptured, um, these cell phones, 
that you can normally, maybe somebody who remembered they used to read their Bible on their cell phone, well, guess who's going to control all the information that comes with this cell phone? Is the Antichrist. The one where you're not going to have the ability to uh, pull up your, you know, your cell phone. Cell phones and the scriptures that you're found, that's all going to be controlled. We know that that's, we're, we're moving in that direction. We know that. We see that. The control of the internet. And so it's important that we have our uh, rapture you know, things set aside for our loved ones. Maybe a place where they can go if they happen to be, if we happen to be the, the, the generation that's raptured, what are you going to leave behind? You, know, you leave Bibles, leave prophecy and, and studies, science studies and such. It says, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, wait a minute. What? I thought it was 1,260 days, right? That's three and a half years if it's a 360-day year system, which is what we're using. Why do we add an extra 30 days? No, <laughs> I don't know. Actually, Scripture does not say. Okay, let's, so again, the mysteries we talked about with God, we don't understand why he added uh, 30 days. But many believe that it was perhaps for the time needed to judge the nations. When at the end, when the Antichrist is taken out and sent into the abyss, um, what, uh, what happens? Jesus sets up his throne in Jerusalem. He splits the Mount of Olives. And many believe that he's going to need time to judge the nations. We do see that 42 months, or 1260 days, was a set limit for the Antichrist's power in Revelation 13.5. It says he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. But remember, when Jesus comes and he defeats them in Armageddon and he throws the Antichrist and the false prophet into hell, then the time ends. So we're adding 30 days here. This is uh, you know, from heaven, by the way. <laughs> this is God's word from heaven. And so we don't know, but we perhaps most likely, this is the time that the Lord would need to judge the nations. And it says here in verse 12, blessed is he who waits and comes to 1,335. Wait a minute. 1,000. We just added another 30 days. So now we got another 45 days. Brings it to 1,335. Again, folks, Scripture does not explain that. But most likely, this is what the time that the Lord is going to use to organize and set up his government in Jerusalem. Remember, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. And so most likely, he will use this time. But whatever the case, um, many believe that 75 extra days will be needed for Christ to fully establish his kingdom on earth. Because he's still working with people, right? <laughs> There's still going to be people there. So hey, we'll just leave it at that. Final verse, 13. But you, back to Daniel, but you, go your way till the end. Go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Remember we said there was a promise in Scripture for all of us here. And here's a promise. In other words, Go your way to the end. Be faithful and live your life faithfully until the Lord calls you home. That's what he's called us to do. Amen. And he says, for you shall rest. You shall rest. Yep. And there's many days in our lives we, we could use some rest, couldn't we? When we think about our busy calendars and our busy schedules and all the things we've done and all the world that's going on around us. We enter into Jesus' rest anytime we want to. If we'll just take the time, we can have time with the Lord. 
Why it's so important to spend time in devotions and early in the morning in his word. Why it's so time to ask the Lord to take you know, whatever's going on in my mind and calm it down. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's not forget that. And he says the promise, and you will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. This is the blessed assurance that we all share in Christ. All true believers will rise from the dead and be rewarded according to our genuine works of faith and love. Amen. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, it says, Whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. great expositor named Phillips, his last name, he writes this in closing. He says, Here you see Daniel's days were drawing to a close, and the angel turned to him with a final prophecy, which was one for him personally. He would continue on his way. Death would overtake him, and he would rest. Time would pass. The things that he had heard, seen and heard would be fulfilled. Empires would rise and fall. The Christ would come only to be cut off. The ages would pass. The Antichrist would come. The Messiah would come again. Yes, Daniel would rest in death. But that was by no means all. He would also stand in resurrection. He would receive his lot of inheritance. He would enter into his reward and have his share in the glories yet to come. Thus abruptly, the book ends. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise, your great promise to us, Lord God. You know, when everything else seems to be unclear and when the world is just coming, crashed down on us, Lord, we know that we can trust you. We can fall at your feet. We can ask for your tender mercies. We can ask for your forgiveness. We can receive your grace. Lord, you can fill us once again with your truth, the truth of your word. We can count on your promises, Lord. Let us be grateful for that. Let us be grateful for what we have in you because it's priceless and it will last forever. Our bodies will be raised to be incorruptible someday. But Lord, you still have a work for us here. You still have a work for each of us to do. Let us do it by your gracious hand, Lord God. Let us keep our hands to the plow and do the work that you've called us. Let us fulfill the ministry that you've given to each of us. Let us be found faithful. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for so much for all that you're doing. Please go before us. May we have a, a restful weekend. May we, may we enjoy the rest that we have. Lord, may we enjoy the fruits of our labor in the time with our families and loved ones. We ask simply that you would go before us and we give you thanks. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand for our final prayer together. Number 624 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a great day in the Lord. 
for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line.